So as we continue this series on the Sermon on the Mount, we talk about what it means to be people who live the good life, a life that is, by its definition, good in large part because it is a life that never comes to an end. It is a life of resurrection hope. It's, it's a life that David Varner not only experienced here, but is still experiencing. Right? We believe that as people of faith. It's a life that has a certain kind of shape. It's a life that looks a certain way, that sounds a certain way, that lives a certain way, acts a certain way. And and as Luke has talked about, all of the things that Jesus has said so far, we know that, that Jesus is telling us the truth because he cares about us. We know that Jesus is telling us the truth because there is really only one way to live the good life, and it is beautiful and it is amazing, but it is also difficult and challenging because the good life is not only an eternal life, it is a life that is lived for the sake of other people. At every moment, it is lived for the sake of others. And so it's it's difficult because you and I, no matter how much we want to focus somewhere other than ourselves, there's just this gravitational pull, right? That that keeps calling us back to this place of wondering about how, what we're, what we're going to do. How's it going to get us where we want to go? How's it going to get us ahead? How, how, how's the outcome going to be exactly what we want it to be? We are constantly calculating, is it worth it? Jesus says, you can't live that way. You have to trust that when God says this is worth it, this is what life is really about, you have to lean into that with obedience. And then it's only on the other side of that trusting obedience that we find the truth. And not just that it's true in an abstract sense for other people or in, in a general sense. It's true for me and it's true for you. It, it comes true in our lives. One of the things that, that we struggle with is not just trusting that what God says is true, but following through. And finding out for ourselves through, through experience that this really is the kind of life we were created for. Now Jesus shifts from focusing on what he's been doing for the last several passages and weeks for us. As he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's focusing on there is... Don't find a way to look like you're following Jesus on the surface. Don't look like you're following God's commands on the surface. Don't look like you're somebody who who listens to the Holy Spirit, but it's just on the surface. Let your heart be changed. Let your heart be transformed. He, He shifts from talking about the law to talking about how we can know our own hearts. Right? Because if, if that's what we're supposed to be focusing, then how do we sift through why we're, we're doing all these things we're, we're doing for the sake of, of what Jesus says is this good life? Now, to kind of get us in the, in the right frame of mind, I think we've just kind of got to think about how common it is in the life of especially young children to want to make sure when they do something that they feel like might possibly in any way be impressive to make sure you're watching, to make sure there's an audience. I remember before having children, this was really difficult for me with other people's children because they would ask me to be impressed with things that just were not impressive. 
hey, look, look, watch this. And the kid tries really hard to jump as high as they can and they barely leave the ground. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. right. You, you have a kid that's got their arms out and they're trying real carefully to walk really slowly on some bricks that are around a yard, bricks that are at the same level as the yard. Right? Isn't that, watch this, isn't this great? Or, you know, when kids start to learn how to count or sing the ABCs and they want you to, to listen carefully as they accidentally reverse seven and eight or J and K. And, I mean, the hardest thing in all that at times in trying to be a good person is acting as if you're impressed with things that just aren't really impressive. I mean, nobody watches and then claps when I manage to tie my shoe the right way the first time. I mean, I wouldn't stop somebody, but nobody does it, right? We, we know that, that as we mature and we grow, the things that used to seem impressive, well, there's things that everybody does. The, the tricky part is, I think that, that while we grow beyond expecting people to stop and notice and watch closely, there's still a part of us that that really wants for somebody to see what it is we're doing. Now, I have found in my life that that those kinds of moments that that somebody asks us to watch and and be impressed with, they can kind of sneak up on you. I mean, you you really can see something you don't expect to see. I I remember a very specific time when Riley said, Daddy, watch, come and watch. And she, she had noticed that there was a man working next door on our neighbor's fence and that he'd been there all day and he really hadn't stopped to eat. And she decided that the best thing he could have to eat was cookies. And so she and Lauren had made these cookies. And so she wanted me to come with her while she gave this guy who's working some cookies. And I think something to quench his thirst like Sprite or something. I don't know. It was a sugary break. And I remember thinking as I'm walking over, this guy's going to be irritated. I don't This is kind of embarrassing. I don't know why it makes it a big deal out of it. When we get over there... And there was this beautiful human moment between Riley and this, this guy working on a fence who felt like nobody saw him. But Riley saw him and noticed him and thanked him. You know, I, I love it when Reese will say, Daddy, Daddy, watch this. And she's still learning how to read, but she likes to pretend she can read. And the way she does that is by memorizing what's in the book. So she says she can read. It's just one specific book. Right, and, and it happens to be her, her picture Bible. And so she'll open it up to the first page and she'll say, in the beginning, the world was dark, but God had a plan. Right, because that's exactly what it says. And there's a part of me that thinks I shouldn't be impressed with this, but I'm so glad that I stopped and I took a moment to see what was happening. And, and I think what's going on there is the tension that we have in our lives between desperately wanting for someone to notice, desperately wanting for someone to see us and what we're doing on one hand, and then the other hand, loving people in this life and, and caring about them so that when they do something that somebody else might think is pretty ordinary and, and not that impressive, that somehow we get caught up in the beauty of who they are and what they're doing. That there's something amazing that can take place in this this witnessing, in this seeing, in this noticing. Now, in our world, usually, the 
The reality is we try to fulfill our yearning because no matter how old you get, right, you still want people to notice. You still want people to see. Not so much just unimpressive things, but I mean, there is a reason we give out awards, organizational awards, and there's a reason that we have graduation ceremonies. There's, there's reasons that we post so much on social media. We want people, no matter how old we are, to take note, especially if it's something that takes some skill and dedication and and we, we feel like it, it was difficult. We want people to, to see it. But what you'll find is if you start to get addicted to, to being noticed and seen by other people, and our world says that's, that's the best way for you to, to feel like you matter is to connect relationally with people and have them see you and what you do and what you've accomplished and to tell you that and to encourage you. And, and there's nothing wrong with that except for the fact that if you are trying to set your own sense of this is why I do what I do or this is what, what makes me matter, this is what gives me worth, that if you're waiting for other people in your, in your friendship or in your family to always notice, to always see, at some point, it's not going to be enough. It's just not going to be enough. And so in Scripture, we have this encouragement to first of all acknowledge that we have this soul-deep need to be seen, to have someone be our witness, right? To, To have somebody notice, but to make the decision to not put that focus, to not put that that weight on everybody else in our lives, but to choose that there is a sacred someone who always watches, who is always lovingly stopping and noticing what it is we're doing. That that God, our Heavenly Father, is really the, the one being in all of creation who who faithfully always sees you. And in seeing you, is impressed by you. Cares for you. Cares for you more than you can possibly ever understand. And that that is where our sense of of worth, our sense of pricelessness, our sense of value, our sense of who we really are, that's where it should come from, not from other people. Because other people will, no matter how hard they try, they're going to let you down. You know that. And yet I find that in so many of our friendships and our marriages and our family relationships, we are trying to force other people to be perfect towards us. And I think we often damage our relationships in demanding something from somebody else that no matter how hard they try, they can't live up to our expectations. And so we open our hearts to God, the one who lovingly watches, the one who always notices us, who always sees us. And that's our center. That's what we keep coming back to. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Jesus talks about, be careful about thinking about what other people are noticing. Be careful, he says, that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Whenever you give to the poor, not, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may get praise from people. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. 
But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may give to the poor in secret. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father, who sees what you do in secret, will reward you. And then to verse 16. And when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so people will know that they're fasting. I assure you that they have their reward. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. Then you won't look like you're fasting to people, but only to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus doesn't say if you give and if you pray and if you fast. He says when. When you give and when you pray and when you fast. Don't, don't give and pray and fast to get people to notice you. Don't do it to make yourself feel more important in the world's eyes. Don't do it to draw attention to yourself. Do it all because you want the reward of a closer relationship with God, with me. Right? Do it because you want the reward of not needing the world's attention and a claim to make you feel like you matter. Motives, the heart reasons we do what we do, they are incredibly complex and difficult for us to fully understand and, and to completely control. This is not only true when we're trying to figure out other people's motives, it's also especially true with our own motives. You know, I'd love to tell you that I always fully understand and control why I do what I do. And yet there are times that I'll, I'll do something or I'll say something and I'll start to wonder, why, why did I do that? Why, why did I talk like that? Why did I react that way? And I have to carefully stop and sift through my own heart to figure out what is it that's driving me? Well, Jesus says, look, there's, there's one way for us to know our motives when it comes to doing something good because it's what God would have us do. He says we need to learn how to keep a secret. Right? He says that, that one of the ways you rescue your good intentions from your not-so-good insecurities is to stop trying so hard to make sure that everybody else notices what it is you're doing when you know what you're doing is good. That temptation we have to say, look, look, watch, listen, stop what you're doing and, and come over here and see what it is that I'm doing. That, that's a human impulse. It's, it's a need that all of us have. The question is, where are you and I trying to fulfill that need? And Jesus says, well, how about you try, just, just try to do something really good and make sure that nobody else finds out. Then you'll know, you'll have a better sense of why you're doing what you're doing. Now, I think it's a little difficult for us because for the most part, when Jesus says, look, you need to learn how to keep a secret, secret keeping in our culture is almost never, never a positive thing. Right? When somebody leans over to you and says, can I tell you a secret? 
they're usually about to tell you something about themselves or somebody else that would be embarrassing if anybody else found out. I mean, when we keep our own secrets, the ones we wouldn't even say to somebody else, can I tell you a secret? Like the, the really deep things in our life that we wouldn't want anyone else to find out about, that's, that's almost always a sinful struggle or shortcoming or an anxiety or an addiction. I mean, it's something that really we would be ashamed if anyone were to, to know about. See, but, but Jesus, when he's talking about keeping a secret, he's, he's not interested in us finding ways to pretend we're somebody else so that no one finds out about the things in us that are the worst. He's trying to say, you need to try to keep a secret because you don't need to make sure that everybody else finds out about the best. Now that, that is really, really challenging to know that there are some things that, that are inside of us that God has given us that are good, good motives, and good motives that lead to, to good actions, and that we would decide that even though it's kind of a, a shining moment in something we're doing, we wouldn't try desperately to shine a spotlight on it. For Jesus, there's this other reason for keeping secrets. It's on the total other end of the spectrum from the shameful reasons that we tend to keep secrets. Jesus wants us to give and pray and fast in secret so that we don't give and pray and fast primarily to impress other people, right? Primarily to have the reputation of being generous and prayerful and self-sacrificial. Now, Jesus expects people to notice. He does. He, he even talks about earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? He says, you're the salt of the earth and you're a light on a, on a hill. Right? He expects people to notice when we live good lives. But it's, it's different than what we tend to get caught up in. He says in the earlier part of the sermon, when people notice, give credit to God. Right? When people notice, they'll praise God for what you've done. Because... He assumes you and I would never take credit for something that God does through us, right? And what he's really saying is you do good things and people will notice, but don't do good things so that people will notice. Now, those are so close to one another in experience that I'm afraid we pretty much decide that we'll go ahead and just make sure just in case that people do notice. Because we, you know, we, we know it's encouraging and we know they, they'll have a warm feeling in their hearts if they see somebody good do something that's good for somebody else. And yet Jesus says, okay, but when that happens, that's where your good intentions start to get blurred with your not so good insecurities. And you start to be the reason for everything in your own life, even the things you do for other people, to help other people. Jesus does not tell us to always give and pray and fast in secret. But he does tell us that we need to give and pray and fast in secret as a regular part of our Christian discipleship. Right? He, he wants us to make sure that there are 
are times in our lives where we make the decision, I think it has to be beforehand, that we're about to do something good for somebody else in God's name, and we really are going to try to make sure that nobody notices, that we don't get the credit for what we're about to do. Now, this can't just be an occasional experiment. This isn't supposed to be something you do once or twice just to see what happens. Jesus expects for this to be a regular part of what it means to follow him. That that often we would try to find a way to serve, to help, to be there for somebody else and not blow trumpets, to not make every everyone around us aware of what it is we're doing. And the the difficulty here is, I think you and I are so used to trying to be noticed by other people that we start to shine a spotlight on what we're doing before we even realize what's happened. In his book, Living Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, Randy Harris writes, Jesus has a way of catching us. He says to us, remember that you're working with an audience of one. And when you do things to impress other people, the one, this one, is not impressed. Jesus says secrecy is crucial to our spiritual lives because who we are when people aren't watching is who we really are. Who we are when people aren't watching is who we really are. We know that. We just forget it. And so this morning is a reminder that you and I, we're working, we're living, we are giving, and we are praying, and we are fasting for an audience of one. And if we don't take the time, the intentional time in our lives to make sure that we have this regular habit of doing good things simply for God, because God's the one who has asked us to do these things, If we never have those kinds of experiences, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid we will get used to doing things for God to get credit in the world. That we will do things for God to get credit in our relationships, to get ahead, to get what it is we want from somebody else. And while those things may or may not be something that on the face of it seems evil or dark or manipulative, I'm concerned for us when we start to view every single relationship we have based on how we can work the other person to get where we want to go. And not only do I think we, we find ourselves being tempted to treat other people in our lives that way, I think we are often tempted to treat God that way. To say, look, I I got in this, and I'm going to stay in this as long as it's working out the way I want it to. And if it doesn't work out that way, I may have to reassess. I may have to step back and think about, is it all worth it? Now, I want to point something out to you that that I think is important, that there's a part of me that would really rather just ignore, because I'm so worried about how we start to, to subtly convince ourselves that it's okay for us to be the reason for our own lives, even though that doesn't make sense. Jesus says three times in this passage, right? One time each for giving and praying and fasting. He says, when you do these three things in secret, 
simply because it's what God has asked you to do, simply because you're trying to be who God asked you to be, and not because you're trying to, to brag about it or have anybody take notice, when you, when you give this way, when you pray this way, when you fast this way, your Father who sees in secret will what? Will reward you. Okay, and I read that and I think, okay, we're going to, Jesus, you shouldn't have said that part because that's the only part we're really going to focus on. Right? The, the reward. And, and so much of our lives are built around getting rewards, right? Getting what it is we, we set out to get. And we'll behave, we'll jump through the hoops, we'll do whatever we got to do to get that reward. And Jesus says, you'll get the reward. And I, I think part of the reason I'm uncomfortable with it is not just because it sounds self-serving. I mean, I get really uncomfortable when people talk about Christianity following Jesus like it's some sort of, of thing that's really about what, what makes them happy or what they're going to get out of it in the end. And I start to think, okay, this, this starts to sound a lot like something that doesn't feel like self-giving love, right? So I struggle with that. But on the other hand, I think part of the reason I struggle with that is we often misread the idea of how God rewards us. And we assume that the reward God could be giving us would be completely disconnected from what we did in order to get the reward. Okay, because that's kind of what tends to happen in our life. I mean, even even when we don't realize it. Like, I remember going to Sunday school, and if I had memorized everything, and I, I remembered to bring my Bible, and I was good during class, I got candy. Which was never a reward for my parents. Right? But I, I got something that I wanted that really wasn't connected at all to what was was going on in the class, it was actually something, you know, based on how I was doing that day, I may have felt like class was kind of boring that day, but I got something exciting as a reward. And I, I think sometimes we do that in broader terms in our own life, right? We think, okay, I'm not going to do all these things the world says are enjoyable or pleasurable. I'm, I'm going to refrain from doing all those things because I think I'm going to have an even better party or I'm going to have a better house or I'm going to have a better car. I, I don't know if there's cars in heaven, but you know what I'm getting at, that there's something great at the end that I'm going to get because I refrain from doing all these things here. We disconnect the actual reward from what we're doing in order to receive it. C.S. Lewis offers us this helpful insight when we start to think that way. He says there are two kinds of rewards. Those that have a natural connection with the activity being rewarded and those that do not. For example, money is not the natural reward of love. A man who marries a woman for money is seen as a criminal. Marriage is the natural reward for love. And a man is not criminal for desiring it. The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they're given, but are the activity itself in full consummation. Okay, what's he saying? We don't give and pray and fast so that God will reward us with money and success and influence. You see how those rewards don't have anything to do with the act of giving and praying and fasting. We give so we can grow closer to the giving heart of God. That's the reward. 
We pray so that we can learn to think God's thoughts after him and help to live out his will on earth as it is in heaven. And we fast so that we can set limits in our lives for the sake of other people. We, we, we fast so that we can say no in order to be able to say yes. We fast because we want to know what it's like to be self-sacrificial. Just like the God who sent his one and only son to live and die and rise again for us. The reward for giving is a generous heart. The reward for praying is a heart drawn into its intimacy with God. The reward for fasting is finding in our hearts that we already have everything we truly need in our Heavenly Father. Now, when we talk about rewards that way, I'm comfortable with you desiring those to your heart's content. I want the life we're pursuing not to be some sort of punishment we think we have to bear up under so that we can have a a better, more fun, exciting life in heaven. That's not what what Jesus is talking about. He's trying to say, don't you want to be, not pretend to be for other people? Don't you want to really be generous? Don't you really want to be somebody whose life is guided by prayer? Not just have the reputation that you pray a lot. Don't you want to be somebody who is able to not only set limits on food, but set limits on all kinds of resources that you have in your life so that you have margin and space and all of those resources to share and help other people? Isn't that who you really want to be? Not punishment so that you can have fun later? So that you can have this good life later? The life that we were created to have is eternal, but it starts now. And it's not just something we're pretending to do for other people. It's not just image management. It's not like we're just, we're trying to impress others. We are trying to actually become somebody different than we are right now. And the way you do that is through behavior through decisions made every single day. It's through trying to wrestle with your motives, your heart reasons for doing what you do. And Jesus says, a regular habit that you and I need to have, a practice that needs to be a part of our lives is, we do the right thing and we make sure nobody finds out about it. Because we are living for an audience of one who always watches us and always sees what we do and knows better than we do sometimes why we're doing what we're doing. And I want that kind of freedom for us that we do good things for good reasons simply because God has asked us to. Simply because God says when you do these things, you become more like my son. And I want to be somebody who becomes more like Jesus. And I want you to become more and more like Jesus. So I want our lives to be marked by giving and praying and fasting for an audience of one. And when we get to that place, we will find a freedom that comes from only really caring what God thinks about us. And only allowing God to be the one who sets our our sense of value and worth. And on that day, we will find when we're able to be in that place in our hearts that we don't need anyone else's approval or permission or credit. We will find this amazing freedom that can come from believing that the only thing that matters in this life 
is mattering to the one who gives us life. And I'm telling you, you already matter more to God than you will ever fully understand. Live for him. Do things for him. And have times in your life when you know you're doing things for him and him alone and find out what happens when we trust and obey. Find out what happens when we do things simply because we've been asked to do them. And they may not make the sense we want them to make, but we realize this is who Jesus was and is, and we want to be those people. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, we're going to have a few shepherding couples just outside of these double doors waiting to receive you, to talk with you, to pray with you. And so if you came this morning with any concern at all, with any burden, with anything you'd like to to talk with a Christian couple about, please go to those couples as together we stand and sing.